Good day, everyone. Good day, everyone. This is your man, Jason O. Miles. And today we have a special guest, very, very special guest. Her name is Linda Pliagas of Realty 411, which is a national organization that focuses on new real estate investors, existing real estate investors, raising private capital, all things real estate related. The exact same thing uh, that I do with you guys on a weekly and daily basis. And we're going to talk about all things real estate. We're going to talk about market conditions. We're going to talk about processes, strategies, all those great things today. So grab yourself a pen, get yourself some paper, coffee if you need it. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, welcome back. Again, this is your man, Jason Miles, and I want to take this very, very moment right now, this moment right here, right now, to introduce you to Miss Linda Pliagas of Realty 411. Hey, Linda. How are you, Jason? I am fantastic today, uh, and I am more than excited and motivated to have this conversation with you today. These are uh, the things that I like to talk about all the time, if I could. I mean, you know, there are there are family members, of course, that wish I would talk about something different. But this is important. Real estate is important, especially in the climate that we're living in today. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And I understand about um, family and friends maybe getting a little bit perturbed about our continuing to talk about real estate uh, 24-7, but yes, we do love it so much, and it's a big part of my life as well, Jason, so I thoroughly understand. Um, yes, the market is so important. It's ever-changing. Mm. Strategies are ever-changing to adjust to market conditions that are happening um, that's why, you know, it's so important to continually keep educated, keep, um, pursuing that knowledge, um, to stay on top of your game as an investor. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, that's what we practice is what we teach. It's what we preach. You know, when you're investing in real estate, I think that, you have to have your thumb on the pulse of what's going on in, in your marketplace or really in any marketplace. Because the reality of it is when you're dealing with uh, different situations as it relates to real estate in terms of certain climates, certain economic climates, you know, we know that there's a lot of seemingly instability in the, in the market today. Well, just in yeah. the economy today, but it's not, it's not, we're not so disassociated with it. We just have to understand that, hey, guess what? Maybe at some point the fix and flip part of the business will slow down a little bit and the wholesale business might slow down a little bit, but there's always a way there. And so when we're looking at the market today, we have to understand that it's always going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be the same tomorrow as it is today. I mean, we've seen that in varying economic cycles. I know that I'm old enough to have witnessed several cycles uh, at this point, and we start to see the indicators because we live through them. It's one thing when you read about it, 
It's a completely different scenario when you live through it. And knowing what the economic cycles are, knowing what what we're in today, you know, are we in an expansion? Are we in a contraction? Obviously, we're in a contraction. But there's conflicting evidence. I mean, there's conflicting news, you know, with uh, wages going up, but employment kind of going down. Well, it's, it's, it's better than it was several months ago, but it's still not where it was, you know, pre-pandemic, right? But the whole um, economic climate, everything is different. Everything, all the conditions are different, you know, post-pandemic than they were pre-pandemic. So us as real estate investors need to be aware of that. And you know, Linda, uh, that's one of the reasons that I created the CARVE method, which is the conservative after repair value uh, estimation. When you look at a deal, you might want a wholesale, but the deal might not really be a wholesale deal. So instead of throwing the deal away because it didn't fit your particular investment model, it doesn't mean you can't still make money off of it. It might be a, a buy and hold, a rental opportunity or a lease option or you know whatever. It can be many, many different things, but it's not in your wheelhouse, but I guarantee you, you're gonna know another investor that can benefit from this type of deal. And you know what, hey, maybe you don't make $10,000 on a wholesale flip. Maybe you only make 1,000 or 1,500 for passing it along to someone else. But I say it's worth it. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, it's all about financial freedom and uh, real estate can be done anywhere around the world. You can literally uh, be transacting deals on your phone nowadays. So there's no better source of financial freedom than real estate. I, I couldn't it agree more. really is. And you can do deals anywhere in the world, too. You're not confined to one area, one city, one county, one state, one country. The whole world um, is your oyster, essentially, when you're a real estate investor. And you can do deals anywhere around the world and live the type of freedom and lifestyle that you wish to live. So that's what's so exciting about it. you know, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we're sitting here and, you know, our home base is in Atlanta, but, you know, we're obviously marketing in, in Georgia. We market in Ohio. We market in Florida. We market in Texas. We market in Indiana. I mean, and the list just goes on and on. Having said that, you know, we're doing these marketing campaigns in areas that are, uh, that still have promise, you know, that are still doing well. There's still a lot of meat on the bone, if you will. It isn't always that way. You know, you can't go to every single market and make a ton of money. I mean, you can still make money, but I mean, think about it, Linda. Now we look, we deal with people all around the country that are the people that live in California, up and down um, the, the West coast that live in New York and Boston and Baltimore places where, real estate values are significantly higher than they are in other parts of the country. Absolutely. And a lot of those folks, you know, they don't want to necessarily invest in their backyard as a lot of, you know, a lot of gurus might want to tell you that, right? Invest in your backyard, invest in your backyard to start out. Well, you know, if if you live in San Francisco or LA or San Diego or, you know, any of these, uh, you know, major markets, 
where you know the the median home might be eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. Correct. It's extremely difficult to to try to put your pennies together and go make money. Is it possible? Absolutely. Can you wholesale? Yes. Can you do partnerships? For sure. But your percentage is a lot lower. I like to say it like this, Linda. I, I was out there in uh, California a couple of years ago before the pandemic, and I was talking to a group of investors. And before I started speaking, you know, I, I was mingling and talking to, you know, all the people. And there was a couple there that had purchased a property to renovate, to fix and flip, right? So they bought this place, they fixed it up and they sold it. They leveraged, they loaned, they borrowed 700,000. Well, not quite, you know, so they, they leveraged about 600, 100,000 to get a $700,000 house. Meaning they put up about 100,000, they had a loan for about 600,000 and then they sold it for just over 800,000. But after expenses, you know, the cost to buy, cost to sell, cost to hold, all those great things, you know, they walked away with $60,000, right? So now when you look at that from a cash on cash perspective, you know, they had a 60% gain. That's not that bad, right? Well, I explained to them that, you know, they could have probably done three deals in, in another and area. And less risk. With, yeah, with spreading it out a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So you might not make sixty thousand dollars a flip you may only make forty or forty five thousand a flip but you did three of them in the same time frame leveraging the exact same amount of money in this case if you made just forty thousand a flip that's a hundred and twenty thousand dollars now you've got a hundred and twenty percent return with the same level of investment the same cash outlay the same time frame you just leverage it a little bit differently and, the, you know, those are the kind of things that we talk about. Those are the kind of things that we teach. And that's why, you know, I, I appreciate and I'm very thankful and grateful to you for uh, being able to uh, work with you and work with your network and share some of these, you know, thoughts and ideas that I have that have been working very well in our business with other people. Because it's only through communities like this that any of us can really get ahead. Absolutely, Jason. I couldn't agree with you more. And on that note, can you give our viewers some tips on how they can do due diligence on deals that are not necessarily in their backyard or in their area? And how do you vet properties, you know, in other places and other states or cities? What are some of the things you do? You know that obviously is a very, very good question. And it's a question that comes up almost in every single case. Now, the good part is going back to that whole community thing is when you're a part of a community, the community has connections everywhere. You know, our community is a, it's, well, it's not just a national community, right? You've got people, we've got people, not only in the States, but in Canada and the UK, uh, Australia, South America, you know, not that we're necessarily going to be flipping houses in Bogota, right? But <laughs> but we have the connections. We have connections with people that know people. And it's it's always that six degrees of separation. But when you're connected to an organization that is already doing these deals, 
It makes it easier for someone to vet a deal. But let's just say for a moment that you just don't, you don't have that. You don't have, it's just you. And you know that, you know, Topeka, Kansas is a great market, right? For, you know, whatever, uh, fix and flip, buy and hold. Just, I'm just throwing out a city. But you don't live in Topeka, Kansas. You live in Palo Alto, California, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're looking in Topeka, Kansas, and you're marketing out there, and you're talking to people. And believe it or not, every person you talk to, you're creating, you know, an allegiance, an ally, potentially. So, but everybody's not your friend either. So when you've got a deal, you've got to be very careful who you invite into that deal before you have it under contract. That's first and foremost. But finally, you're getting some some uh, inbound telephone calls, emails, uh, messages, social media stuff from your marketing. And you're looking at these deals and you're saying, okay, here's a house. You know, I want to do some buy and holds. This is a great area. Let, let me see what this house looks like. So you maybe send a contractor over there or you have the person, the owner, take pictures or videos of the property and you can determine based on its square footage and what you see, you know, kind of what it's going to need as it relates to the kind of repairs that you want to do to the property to make it ready for rent. You can also reach out to uh, contractors or, or real estate agents in the area and they'll do that. They'll do that for you as well. At least they'll go walk through and take pictures. They might charge you 50 bucks or 75 bucks. No big deal, but you definitely want to protect your potential investment by not losing it before you get a contract and just sending anyone over there. You also can't trust every contractor that you you just, you know, pick up. You, I, I'm still used to saying picking up the phone book, but <laughs> but no, like going to Google and just Googling contractors. I mean, they're going to be too expensive. They're going to charge you just to go. And a lot of times they charge you a couple hundred bucks just to go walk it. And you just don't need that. But in working with people that have people, it allows you the ability to be active right now and leverage someone else's, in this particular case, ours and yours, leverage someone else's relationships to help you get to where you want to go faster. You don't have to build a team right now, provided that you're inside of a community. You will build your team, and we work with you to build your team. We want you to build your team. But it starts, the relationships you build start with the relationships you have. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. You know, so, and, and, and it's in that way that you begin that evaluation process. Once you do your, your due diligence as it relates to the after repair values and the cost to renovate, which we help you do all of, and, you know, all of those things are very, very important if you're investing from afar. But once that's understood, I mean, there are always these little nuances in every community, right? You can be in, uh, I know in Atlanta, you can have a half a million dollar house in a, you know, $160,000 neighborhood. It's just weird like that, right? You know, but you'd have to know that. So if you saw that house, you'd say to yourself, well, this is, this is not normal. It's going to throw you off. How do you get your comparables? How do you determine what this house is actually worth? Well, it's... Yeah. It's kind of not, you can't really do it. You have to kind of, you got to spread out. And every appraiser and every lender would understand that. If you were buying a 5,000 square foot house in a neighborhood that has, 
you know, 2,000 square feet maximum. Yours is going to be the most expensive in the neighborhood, but it's also going to slightly be a little bit devalued. Because if you took that house and you moved it to a half a million dollar neighborhood, it would probably be worth be worth six or seven hundred thousand, depending on the amenities that you've given it. But it goes right to what we we talk about a lot with people that are uh, do a lot of buy and holds. Do yes. not over renovate because you like it. Doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense, and that's a very common mistake I see with a lot of newer investors. You know they watch a lot of HGTV and A&E and, you know, DIY. And just because you can buy the granite for a little bit cheaper in one place as opposed to another, geographically speaking, doesn't mean that you should because the person that you're going to put in there has to be able to take care of these things. Otherwise, you'll be buying more granite countertops, you know. So yeah. you got you have to really understand who your tenant is before you start to do those larger renovations. But that's a part of your uh, due diligence. And again, I, I, I know that I'm harping on it, but it's all part of being involved in a community, getting the, the right education. So you know how to effectively evaluate not only the property in its current condition, but those, um, those neighborhoods, the, the neighborhood uh, uh, outliers and understanding what those are and making sure this house isn't that and understanding what the value of that neighborhood is so you can get a clear understanding of what that what the value of that house is and also knowing how to evaluate the numbers if you're going to be a landlord because a lot of people linda will just say okay my mortgage is this and i'm receiving this i'm making three or four or five or six hundred dollars a month no there are a lot of other expenses that you have to account for and that's how you begin to evaluate your properties, especially, especially if you're going to buy and hold. Because if you're just counting your, you know, your principal and interest taxes and insurance, you know, you're not taking into account vacancy rates, you're not taking into account um, uh, repairs. There are a few things that you have to make sure you pay attention to and you account for before they happen. Because you don't want to have to come out of pocket if you don't have to. You account for it before it happens. And that all goes into how much you pay for the house, not just how much you charge for rent. Because if the rents in the neighborhood were $1,200, $1,300, you're not going to be able to bump it up too much just because you over-renovated. Maybe you will a little bit, but you're going to have to really look for that right tenant. But if that's the case, you still could be, you know, put yourself in a, a bad situation if you've got a lot of maintenance uh, things that you need to take care of. So you always want to be aware of those kind of things. And I know that I can get a little winded when I'm talking about these things, Linda. Please forgive me. Listeners, please forgive me. But I just know that there are all these little nuances and it's not enough to just kind of skim over the top. Skimming over the top is what gets people into bad situations, in my opinion. Absolutely. And there's definitely a way to rehab property. You need to know who your end buyer is. Mm. Um, are you going to be selling it to an owner occupant or are you going to be renting that property to a tenant? And whether you do one or the other will depend on how you want to renovate that property. 
and how much money you want to spend on that property's That's renovation. Right. That's exactly right. And a lot of people don't pay attention to that. I mean, I've worked with a lot of investors over the years and, you know, you, you just catch them. You see them all the time making these horrible decisions because they like it. And, and that's not bad when that's a, a good thing under under normal circumstances. You know, it's a good thing when you're. Uh, let me give you an example of, of one couple that I worked with. OK, so. They were a, a, they were huge fans of the Spanish tile look, you know, with the Spanish tile countertops, you know. And I told them that, listen, that is, that's not what you do when you're renovating a house. You're putting your personal touches in there. You don't know who's going to come and look at this. And in fact, you're narrowing uh, the number of people who are going to like this particular property because you want to put tile as a countertop. Right? Especially in Atlanta, where it's not the norm. <laughs> exactly. That, that's ex that's what I'm saying. You know, you you cannot do that. And so they, the wife in this case was, she didn't really like my input at at this point because they wanted to put you know marble tiles on the floor as opposed to ceramic. And hey, listen, you can go into some pretty expensive houses and you're going to see ceramic tile all over the place. Okay. And especially today, you have ceramic tile that's absolutely gorgeous. You know, just absolutely gorgeous ceramic tile. It's durable. If by chance you drop something on it and it breaks, they're easy to replace. It's not, it's not the same with marble tiles. In fact, marble floor tiles have definitely gone out of fashion overall. But she really, this is what she liked. So they politely asked me to, you know, not give more, any more input into their renovation. And guess what happened? What? They didn't sell the house. It wound up being a rental property for them. And they were very, 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 very upset with themselves. And I'm not the guy to come around and say, hey, I told you so. But you kind of have to be. You know, you kind of have to be. You have to say, hey, listen, I know that you want to sell this house. In fact, I know you need to sell this house as opposed to refinancing it. But if refinancing for you is an issue, you're going to have to go and spend more money and you're going to have to at, at very least redo those countertops at very least, because that's not what people want to see. Right. That, that's, right. that's just not what people want to see. So in, in doing that, they put themselves in, in, a, in a financially in a very, very tough place because when it's expensive the first time, it's three times as painful when you have to fix it the second time. Yeah. You know, no one wants to do that. But that's why people get mentors. They get mentors so they don't wind up in, wind up in those situations. So you guys, if you're listening and you get a mentor, you get a coach, listen to them. Listen to them. It's not saying that the ideas that you have are wrong. They just not be right for that particular situation. You, you, you've hired a mentor or a coach for a reason, and that's to help you learn and get ahead. So allow them to do their job, and you make sure that you're coachable. You have to make sure you're coachable. I mean, how many people have you worked with over the years, Linda, that you know they had their own, their own ideas, even though they were working with you, but they had their own ideas, and it just didn't go right? Absolutely. Even one of our 
um, good friends and business partner in another non-real estate related business, um, he tried rehabbing a few times, never worked out because they overspent mm. every single time. They just rehab, they fixed the property as if they were going to live there. Mm -hmm. They spent a fortune on the rehab. Um, and they love doing rehabs on historic properties. You know Ooh. how expensive that, that is. Ooh. So, unfortunately, they never made any money rehabbing. But um, they've made money, you know, in other ways, investing in commercial real estate that doesn't have to be rehabbed and going in with, you know, other people in syndication. So they've made money on that, but they're not good in rehabbing. That's right. And because, you know, some people just they can't they they're they get too emotionally involved. That's right. In and the deal. You bring up a great point. It's understanding your position. You know, what is your tolerance? You know, what do you really want to do? You know, we've had people come to us that have had, you know, millions of liquid cap capital at their disposal and they want to learn how to fix and flip one or two houses at a time. That's that's not the best use of, of your money or your time for that matter. You've made that money and now it's time for that money to go to work for you. And now we're looking at a lot of those passive investments. I mean, you can you can mix and mingle your passive investments with your active investments, but it's imperative in my opinion that if you've got, you know, mid to high six figures or more sitting around, just sitting there in a bank in CDs or in in low interest bearing bonds, whatever, you need to you need to become a lender. You need to start working as uh, with people like us and creating financial opportunities for, for yourself where you're making 8, 10% or even more in certain situations on an annualized basis. Because like, I just don't understand sometimes, you know, I do. I understand, you know, when, when people are coming from a place of nothing, when they started with nothing, you want to hold on to everything as tight as you can, you know, but that's not how money works. You know, money, money is meant to be kind of this free spirit. I mean, you got to keep a leash on it. Yeah, but money wants to work. Just sitting money, just sitting there loses value on a daily basis. I mean, look at what's going on now with inflation. Your hundred thousand dollars that you've got sitting to the side is probably worth ninety two right now, maybe. Maybe, you know, and and those are the kind of things that we're talking about. Money has to move. You know, it has to work out. It's got to be in the gym. And the gym for money is investment opportunities. Your job is to be a good steward over what those investment opportunities are so that your money can continue to reproduce. And what are some of the ways that you do due diligence on different properties and opportunities, Jason. Can you share some of your tech tips and techniques with our mm -hmm. viewers? Absolutely. So uh, to, we'll start little, like we'll start with a single family home that's out of state. So right now we're doing, we're doing deals in Mississippi, Ohio, and Indiana currently right now, deals that we're evaluating as we speak. And, uh, the Mississippi properties, there's three of them. I look at them. I say, okay, here, here's one that 
needs a full renovation, but it's not horrible. It's not terrible. It's in a community that is predominantly a rental community. 80% of the community is a rental community. So I know this won't be a fix and flip. This will be a buy and hold. Uh, so my job now is to see, you know, what the value of this property can be. Well, the value of the property is going to be about seventy or eighty thousand dollars, conservatively speaking, but the rents are eight fifty to nine hundred. So we're already well over the one percent rule just from looking at that valuation, but that's not what we're getting it for. So we're getting it for twenty one thousand, and it's going to cost us about worst case scenario fifteen thousand to bring it back to life. The roof is in good shape. The, um, all the mechanicals are in good shape, but it just needs paint, needs cleaning. Uh, the kitchen needs to be uh, replaced and the bathroom needs to be replaced. But again, these aren't gonna be big budget rentals. These are, you know, for mica countertops, you get your boxes and you, you put them up there. It's a functional uh, place. You get your bathtub and shower insert and you put some tile on the floor and boom, you got a new bathroom. You, you do not have to go overboard on things like this. <clears throat> but for us, that puts us in a situation where, you know, we're $36,000 into, we're roughly into this house at 50 cents on the dollar, period. So for us, whether we wholesale it or, or kept it in our rental portfolio works just fine. The other properties in, in there, <clears throat> the other two properties were rental properties, current rental properties in better neighborhoods. So my goal there is to say, okay, how much longer do we have on these on these uh, leases? Because I would like to go in, clean these properties up, and then lease option them to someone else because they're in a better neighborhood with a higher ownership percentage. So people want to be there, better schools, the whole nine. So when I'm looking at this property, I'm looking at all the expenses that are going to be associated with it, vacancy rates and all that great stuff, the better the neighborhood, the more I know that I can lease option this as opposed to renting it. I can create homeowners as opposed to renters. But guess what that does for us? Now we're not, we're not getting telephone calls in the middle of the night saying our toilet's broken or, 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 or even having to pay the property management company for that matter. You just, you just don't have to do it when you're a little guy. When you've got 20 or 30 of them, yes, then you want to then you want to do it. But you're making the job really easy for your property manager because they don't have to go in and do any repairs. They don't have to take those calls. They don't have to do any of that. All they have to do is collect the check and make sure you get paid. My point there being is you can negotiate what their rate is knowing that they don't have to worry about leasing people back up. They don't have to worry about inspections. They don't have to worry about maintenance. They don't have to worry about any of that. We're paying 5% on the, sing on the single family residential side just to have them do that for us. That's it. Now, when you start to step up a little bit and we're looking at multifamilies, you know, anywhere from yeah. five units on up, your evaluation process will not be the neighborhood. I mean, the neighborhood comes into play, but you know, you've got your A, B, C, and your Ds. Your Ds, you just want to stay away from, right? Your C's, and then these are classes, um, with the classes that they categorize a property, whether it's, you know, whatever kind of commercial, right? Whether it's residential or whatever. If it's a commercial property, meaning five units or more, or an office building or manufacturing, 
things like that, distribution centers, uh, those are going to be graded based on when they were built, what kind of neighborhood they're in, and so on and so forth. So they're going to, you're going to be concerned with A, B, and C. D, just throw it out the window. You know, I know a lot of people like to buy, you know, Baltic on board on uh, right after boardwalk. You know, all that stuff right there, the cheap real estate, and it does matter, but it is extremely intensive. You know, it is. It's it's especially it's, for new beginners. Oh, you yeah. don't want to get. You don't want to go there. No, stay you away. You don't have the expertise for that yet. <laughs> yes, stay away. And even yeah. in a lot of your C's, you want to make sure that your C's are in a a working class neighborhood. Not too close to D, but, you know, closer to B. C, C plus, you know, it's good, like right in the middle, just C, C plus, and then you can work with it. But when you're looking at those, you know what the cap rates in those neighborhoods should be based on what other things have sold for. Uh, and, you know, that your cap rate will determine, you know, what that price is. Basically, the cap rate and your net operating income, your NOI. You look at those things and you determine what the price should be. And then you look at CapEx. You know, what kind of CapEx is renovations? What kind of deferred maintenance is there? What do you need to fix? Um, what, what can you add to the property to make it you know, worth a little bit more? How can you add value to that situation? It's always about how you can add value to every situation that you look at. If you're not adding value, you're not going to do too much. You're not going to do too well at anything, actually. You know, you have to add value. You have to be able to come into that situation and add value, even if it's being operated impeccably, Linda, right then and there. If if this is an opportunity for you, you've got to look at, okay, where is the opportunity for me to make more money other than just appreciation over time? Can I save money on these certain bills or these certain processes? Where can I save money that might make us 10 or $15 more a month per unit, as opposed to raising the rents 10 or $20 more a month immediately, right? You don't want to do that immediately because people will move, right? You first look at how it's being operated and where you can save money. Then you can start talking about two or three or 5% annual increases. Um, depends on the neighborhood, depends on the economy, all those great things come into play when you're evaluating that, but that's your plan when you're, and of course I'm giving this, you know, the once over because this here is something that you cannot sit down and have a 30 minute conversation about and then just know it. It's impossible. You know, there's a lot that goes into it, you know, and then there's the tax structure when you're looking at multifamily, five units or more, you know, it's, you know, what, where do I get the tax advantage? We know about standardized depreciation, you know, whatever you paid for divided by 27 and a half, that's what you get paid. Well, in multifamily, provided you spent, you invested, you know, or purchased the property for 750000 or more, and it's five units or more, you now get to take advantage of cost segregation, which okay. gives you these huge write-offs over the first seven years. They're really big over the first three, and then they start to go down after that. And that's why you start to see a lot of a lot of properties, multifamily on the market every five to seven years because the owners have depreciated it so much. They're just ready to, you know, 1031, sell it, 1031 that money into something, something new and exciting. Right. Yeah. But uh, and larger and, and larger. Absolutely. So 
These are all very, very important things when you're evaluating a property, whether it's a single family home or a multifamily property or a, a commercial building, a medical facility, whatever. You have to really know how to dig into those numbers so that you can make money because those are big mistakes if you make them, huge mistakes, mistakes that might take you a couple of years to, to get back from. And you just don't want to do it. Absolutely. Jason, those are fantastic tips, great strategies. Thank you so much for sharing that valuable insight. Absolutely. Well, listen, Linda, I want to, I really want to thank you for being here with me today uh, and having this conversation with you. I enjoy our conversations. Uh, and by the way, we've got some planning to do for the weekend and things that are coming up next year as well in March. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and I'm going to definitely make sure that I'm sharing your information, as I always do anyway, with, with my people. And uh, so Linda's information is going to be in the description of this. My information is going to be in the description of this. And, you know, Linda and I are going to be doing a lot of things together. In fact, Linda, I've got a few properties I need to be sending over you. I'll email them to you later. Uh, okay, awesome. That sounds great. And I look forward to working with you and JK for our event in Fort Lauderdale or the Boca Raton area. That should be very exciting. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about being in person with people again. You know, that's that's an exciting thing for me. It is. We can't wait. We love networking in person, getting to know investors throughout the nation and finding out what it is they need. What, it, what education do they need? What information is most valuable to them? We really want to learn from them and, and see how we can assist and help. Absolutely. And let's make sure that we're plugging the, uh, the live event in March. I know, you know, it's still early, guys. It's, you know, before Thanksgiving and before Christmas when you're hearing this. But it's important for you to start planning these events because there's nothing more important than shaking the hands of the people that you're going to be doing business with in the future. So oh, yeah. we got to make sure that we're, you know, uh, I'll make sure that it's in the description of this as well. Linda, so we can make sure that that event is there. Um, my contact information will be there. Of course, uh, the educational stuff, make sure you pay attention to everything that you hear on this. Listen to it again. And you're going to be able to do that by watching it on YouTube or listening to the Real Estate 360 podcast or, or um, Linda, what's your podcast? Yes, they can go to Realty411.com and we have videos there and our podcast link is there um, and we have virtual events coming up as well. So we'll have a lot of opportunities for them to connect with us. Absolutely. So I encourage you to visit Realty411.com and sign up to get our email alerts so that you can receive our invitations. Absolutely. Well, Linda, thank you so much for being here today. I know you've got some things that you need to get taken care of. I don't want to hold you up. I appreciate everything. So to the whole Real Estate 360 family and the whole Realty 411 family, I look forward to working with you and conversating with you guys to see how we can help you achieve all of the goals that you envision for yourself. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, everyone.